rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Thursday edition. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Afternoon episode. I want to encourage everybody to check out the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast. Had to push that recording to this morning, so that's why I'm a little late right here uh, getting all this to you. But um, it's been an interesting week in Gamecock land. Of course, I I think that, you know, when you talk about the Vanderbilt game this weekend, it's obviously a a must-win. Carolina's sitting there at 0-2. Said it all week, the losses are piling up. That's not a good thing, and – Certainly, I think that's what everybody could use as a win. I think that's uh, that's a cure-all. And uh, digging into this Vanderbilt team this weekend, uh, I think it's probably just what the doctor ordered for South Carolina. This is, you know, compared to even some other Vanderbilt teams of the past, I, they just don't have a whole lot uh, this year. They've got a lot of young players at a lot of positions, um, you know, rotating quarterbacks. The offense, uh, you know, is not that good. Um, their defense uh, had a good game against A&M, and then LSU sort of lit them up up in Nashville last week. So, you know, monsoon or no monsoon, it could be, um, you know, a situation where Carolina should win the game. I mean, I, I don't I don't really think that um, there's any excuse to not go up there and win <clears throat> and get to one and two, and then you got Auburn coming in the next week, and certainly Auburn has not looked like a bunch of world beaters this year. You always kind of take that game uh, with caution if you're a Gamecock because the Gamecocks have never beaten Auburn. Uh, they're one of two teams, Auburn and A&M. Carolina's never beaten as a member of the SEC. I think they hadn't beaten them at all since the 30s. So that's a that's an opportunity. You know, sometimes if you're a coach and you do things that, that haven't been done in a long time at a program, that helps. So if you're Will Muschamp, I think you're looking at the next two weeks as an opportunity to get even. Uh, and then it comes, you know, LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Missouri. Uh, and then you got two more after that, Kentucky and Georgia, and that's it. Ten-game season goes by pretty quickly. So, you know, the time is now for South Carolina uh, to win a game. Uh, and Vanderbilt, you know, has, has not had a lot of success against the Gamecocks. John Whittle had a good article on the thebigspur.com. Check it out. Talking about the current streak against Vanderbilt. And uh, Carolina has not lost to Vandy since 08. That's the longest streak of any SEC East team. And that's kind of scary, you know, in in a way, because, you know, the law of averages, teams being due, you know, you kind of think about it like that. And you're like, well, this team may be due. But this Vanderbilt team, though, is, you know, they're they're, they're a struggling bunch, you know. So it's not like, um, you know, a team that that maybe – I guess they've had in the past where they're trying to get to a bowl, they can beat Tennessee or whatever, that type of thing. This is a struggling bunch through two games. Now, I will caution you, last year they were a struggling bunch uh, through about six or seven, and Missouri goes in there and loses. Vanderbilt just played the game of their life. And so you always have to be aware that Vanderbilt kids always play hard. Uh, They always believe they can beat South Carolina. Um, That's not a team on their schedule that they get intimidated by. Uh, you better believe Derek Mason wants a win on Saturday. So, so you look back through this series, South Carolina's 25 and four against the Commodores. They are 24 and four uh, in the 28 years they've been in the Southeastern Conference. The losses to these guys have come in, in pairs 98 99, which I'll remind everybody, we're going through the worst period win, wins, wins and losses wise in Gamecock football history since 98 99. Uh, Carolina lost 17-14 up there, Brad Scott's last year, and then lost a game. One of the ugliest games I think I've ever watched at Williams-Brice Stadium. Vanderbilt came in, and that was the 0-11 team under Holtz. And my buddy and I were there. It was, a, it was a night game, so it was a pleasant atmosphere. And, you know, Carolina was playing pretty good on defense. Offense was struggling, I think. I think Kyle Crabb was the quarterback that game, a walk-on. And um, so uh, – they lost 11 to 10. <laughs> yeah. I think there were multiple safeties uh, in that football game. Uh, so, um, 
that's uh, that's the deal there. So eleven to ten, uh, and then. In another game that kind of came out of nowhere in, in 2007, South Carolina is ranked sixth in the country. Bobby Johnson and the Commodores. And then this, this Vanderbilt wave of th- – these were Bobby Johnson's best teams. He'd sort of been building toward it. This was 06 – or I'm sorry, 07 and 08. I think he started at Vandy in 02. Um, so they had been building for about six years for these teams. They beat, they beat Carolina 17-6. Um, and then – uh, the next year, on a Thursday night, Carolina opened up back-to-back Thursday nights against NC State and Columbia, and then they go to Nashville. Carolina lost 24-17. So Steve Spurrier lost two straight games to Vandy uh, at Carolina. Uh, and then you kind of move on. And when this streak started in 2009, uh, a night game at Williams-Price, Carolina ekes by 14-10. Uh, the 2010 game was a bizarre football game, I think, Carolina put up like 500 yards of total offense, but only won 21 to seven. Uh, James Franklin takes over the next year at Vandy. It's 21 three. Then the 17 13 opener in 2012 up there, 35 25 in Franklin's last year. Uh, and then the Derek Mason era happened. The Gamecocks are six and zero against Derek Mason, or he's zero and six against the Gamecocks. 48 uh, 34 game in 2014. That was the most points Vandy's put up against South Carolina ever. They, I think they returned two kickoffs for touchdowns. Sean Elliott got his one win as the Carolina coach the next year, 19 to 10. Will Muschamp got his first win at Carolina up there on a Thursday night, 13 to 10. And that was a good Vandy team they beat. I mean, that, that Vandy team, I think, ended up in a bowl. 2017 game was close, 34-27. Um, Shai Smith had a pretty good game that game. And, and then the next two years – you know, in 18, Shai Smith also had a good game. So did Debo and those guys, 37 to 14 up there. Carolina kind of um, mauled it. Uh, and then last year, you know, Vandy's quarterback gets hurt after taking a 7 nothing lead. Uh, and Carolina just sort of ran it all over him, 24 to 7. And so we're here. Muschamp in his career, eight years, 7 and 1 against Vandy. The one loss came in 2013 when. You know, they had a ton of injuries. They weren't very good. And that was probably James Franklin's best team at Vandy. Vandy surprised the Gators in the Swamp 34-17. That was Mus Muschamp's only loss um, to Vanderbilt in his coaching career. You know, so that's just kind of the history there. You know, I, I, I remember – I don't know if you guys remember that there used to be a, a, like a newspaper that they printed before the games called Gamecock Mania, Gamecock something – uh, it's kind of some tongue-in-cheek stuff about the game and all that, and they distributed it at williams Price. And I remember in the 90s going to a game there and getting it, and it was, you know, 20 questions or whatever. And one of the questions was, you know, what's the best thing about being the SEC? If you're a South Carolina person, it's like Vanderbilt. <laughs> um, and, look, I, I, I kind of like the fact Vandy's on the schedule every year. I think, you know – especially when it's in Nashville and then it's not going to be that way this year because of COVID-19, but you know, that's a great trip. There's usually thousands of Gamecocks that make the trip. And I know that like two years ago in 2018, they, um, you know, after the the rain delay or whatever, Carolina had them outnumbered because Gamecock fans just didn't leave and Vandy fans went home or whatever. Um, and maybe in 2016, too, Muschamp said after the game, Carolina had a big crowd up there for the first game of the Muschamp era. It's a great trip. I used to live in Nashville. Lived there seven years, uh, once for three and once for four. Um, and uh, that's a heck of a place to visit, uh, which makes it crazy that Carolina's never been to the Music City Bowl. But, you know, we know why. We know why. It seems like every time they're up for that bowl game, Kentucky's bowl eligible. and They got a bunch of wildcats that like the crowds they bring to the music city and rightfully so. So that's the deal with Vandy. Um, you know, Derek Mason, you probably could have made a, a um, strong case to fire him last year. If you're Vanderbilt, um, the, the Commodores elected not to, they elected to keep him. Um, and he's just, I mean, this is kind of a year one rebuild looking thing right now at Vanderbilt. And so South Carolina, Definitely with the players the Gamecocks have, and, you know, you look at the results first two weeks, it's uh, it's one where, you know, I think Carolina could, uh, I mean, you know, should win. I mean, they, they should win the game, I, I think. 
Uh, you know, even if the weather's bad, I, I don't, I don't think the weather's an excuse because the weather's going to affect them just like it affects Carolina. So, you know, you just can't lose this game. And uh, on the JC and Morgan podcast today, Mike and I were talking about it a little bit. We talked about this one and we, you know, we have a kind of a deal where it's like better not lose. That's kind of the theme. Better not lose. Better not lose this one. Better not lose this one if you're the Gamecocks. And it would be helpful if the Gamecocks went on somewhat of a winning streak. So I think that um, that's definitely something to kind of look forward to. But, boy, this program needs a win. Um, It's been fellowship of the miserable on the big spur. I'm going to tell you guys that are on there that are, you know, being – are down in the dumps, you know, that that's okay. Um, That's to be expected. And when you, when you've got a bunch of passionate fans, you know, you're going to have guys that, that, you know, or gals or whoever that, you know, sort of check out and nothing that happens is positive. And it's just because they care so deeply. I mean, that's, I mean, honestly, that's a, you know, that's a good thing. I think that, that people are upset and, down in the dumps and you know I, I don't know how much beating this team Saturday provided the Gamecocks do it uh, is going to move the needle in the positive direction but I know how far it'll move the needle in the negative direction if the Gamecocks do not win um, that would be very very bad if um, if that happened I mean very very bad very very bad <laughs> so um, you know if you're South Carolina you cannot Cannot lose this ball game on Saturday, and uh, you know I, I don't uh, I don't anticipate they will. Vanderbilt's quarterback Ken Seals, I know, is a player that uh, the Commodore coaching staff really likes. They think he's got a bright future. You know, they've got some skill guys that can give you some problems on offense, and then you know, defensively, Ted Roof had a good game plan at A and M. I think it was more about A and M that game than what Vanderbilt was doing, but it was seventeen twelve. And, you know, the Gamecocks getting that type of game Saturday, and, and it is wet, and the ball's bouncing funny, anything can happen. So I think if you're South Carolina, you got to go out there. You got to impose your will. I think, you know, the way the offense has been playing in terms of execution and, and going on sustained drives and staying on the field is positive. I think the way the Gamecocks have been running the ball is very positive. You know, I, I think, like I said earlier, the offensive line has had six straight quarters of, of being pretty doggone good for an SEC offensive line. Uh, that's an advantage for Carolina going into the game. So they need to, uh, they need to you know, line up and do it. You know, Kevin Harris, Deshaun Fenwick, you know, maybe Zaquandre White, uh, whoever, they've got to have a good game. They need good, another good game out of Shy Smith. I don't know who's going to step up at receiver this week, uh, whether it's Leggett or Rico Powers. Um, I kind of think that, you know, if I had a guy circled, it would probably be Rico. Um, I'd still like to see something out of DeCarry and Joyner, uh, you know, a little swing pass, something, give him the ball, see what can happen. But Rico Powers is kind of in the spotlight, you know, for me as far as uh, offense goes. And I think it, it's because he gained some confidence, caught a couple of passes at Florida, including a good one late. Um, they like his talent. They think his talent's really good and – he arrived in great shape, and we've seen true freshmen step up at receiver before. And I look, I'm gonna say this too. I'm on, I'm on as a word in the South, by the way. I'm going to say this too. Um, I I don't know that Carolina have to, to to fix some of the issues with explosive plays downfield and all that. I, I don't know that South Carolina needs six guys to all of a sudden step up at wide receiver. I think they need one or two. I think two would be ideal. Um, obviously, we continue to move with the Jalen Brooks thing, and that hadn't happened. And uh, I feel like maybe it won't, you know. And that's not based on inside information or anything. That's just based on, you know, the feeling I get right now. Um, so if it doesn't, you know, you need a Rico Powers. You need Xavier Leggett to hold on to the ball. You know, both of his drops – uh, at Florida in the first half would have been big, big chunk yardage plays, you know, and he really is a guy that can run and, 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 you know, he has speed and he's athletic. 
um, early on, you know, the first pass of the game, he caught 22 yard gain. And, you know, he was a, a fraction away from maybe breaking it, you know, for more, um, you know, they need to continue to look at shot Smith. Nick, Nick Muse needs to be consistent catching it, but you know, they, they need some more guys to come on. And, and if Rico powers is that guy, great. Uh, I'm going to quit talking about Luke Doty at wide receiver until they actually, you know, put him in and he plays and does some stuff. Um, obviously, if he's the fastest guy on the team and the most athletic guy on the team and he can catch, you know, why not? What do you have to lose? But, you know, we'll see kind of how that goes. But I'm going to quit talking about him for now. Um, and you can do it. You can do it with, you know, without big numbers at receiver. The problem will be, let's say, Shy Smith, who – never really has been badly injured at Carolina, but at times does get banged up and he's taken a lot. He's a lot of getting tackled a lot this year because he's got the ball a lot. Um, you know, then where do you, where do you go? You know, where do you go? But, you know, as long as everybody stays healthy, I think scheme wise, you know, they just need one or two guys to step up. And, you know, then I think the passing game will not be as limited because they've got, you know, they've, you know, they, they kind of got options. You they, the, the, the backs combined, I think for, Nine catches on Saturday against Florida. Um, you know, and you're getting – if you get seven to ten out of shy, I'm not going to say that he's going to be in double digits every week. That's unrealistic. But, you know, six to ten, six to nine or whatever out of shy. And, you know, Xavier can catch four or five and, and Rico can catch four or five. You know, then all of a sudden you got something going. And, and, and I think the line is blocking well enough to where you can go downfield uh, if you have more options. Um and then I think that Colin Hill can hit the guys downfield. You know, Colin Hill, uh, you know, some of the criticism, and I've learned this about quarterbacks, you know, because I lived through the Jake Bentley era, which no other player uh, in the history of South Carolina football has taken more criticism unfairly than Jake Bentley. None. Um, but I, but I've seen it now kind of moving forward. Um, and people didn't get on Holinsky too much last year because he was a true freshman. But I've seen it now that, like, no matter what happens or what you say, people are going to see quarterback play like they want to see it. You know, I can sit here and tell you till I'm blue in the face, you know, that, hey, look, the, the decisions and reads that Colin Hill made and that he's made the first two games of the season are keeping Carolina in football games and giving them a chance to win. I can say that all I want. And then somebody's going to look and be like, "Well, he doesn't, he doesn't throw it down the field too much, you know." He and 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 I guess they don't understand that you know a play is called and you run the play, um, you know, and and you have options there, and you know you you throw it to the open guy. I think that's the idea. Um, it's not that he's out there and and, and all that, and and I just I don't know that throwing it deep if you're. You know, you're not going to complete it is, is a better thing than, you know, not than taking the first down and staying on the field because that way you protect the defense. And that's why I said that Florida probably wins 52-7 to seven if Helensky starts. Not that I think Helensky's going to throw a bunch of pick sixes and stuff like that. I'm just saying he probably isn't executing at a high level. Thus, the Florida offense is on the field. Uh, Gamecocks don't run that many more plays than the Gators like they did Saturday. Uh, and they have more opportunities, and and you give that bunch more opportunities, and they're going to score. And then you're not. Um, it wasn't anything against Helensky. It was just I, I like the way Hill kind of the ball control kind of deal. Now, we can talk about the last seven minutes of the game. I think that's certainly up for debate, and I think it's probably been up for debate since Saturday. But, uh, you know, you go back and look at Hill at Colorado State, they did throw deep balls. I mean, they they – you know, when they had the guys out there, they would – you'd see them, they'd run, 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 dink, dunk, boom, over the top. I think right now they're just kind of, you know, looking for guys to kind of, uh, you know, be that guy over the top, if you will. Um, and they do take their shots. So, you know, when you're talking about receivers, I think that, you know, it, it doesn't take but one or two in, in this pool of guys – you know, the Gamecocks need that to happen. And if they do, I think they could have a pretty good offense. You know, they're, they're still not going to run high tempo. Um, I just don't think they're built that way right now. You know, um, I, I, you know, maybe they go a little faster from time to time. But I just don't think they're built that way. 
you, you don't have that, you know, home run hitter at running back with Marshawn Lloyd. Maybe White is that guy once he kind of gets back. Um, but, you know, you got to kind of grind out first downs and run the football and keep the ball. And heck, it's, uh, you know, theoretically supposed to help the defense if the defense can stop giving up big plays at inopportune times. I think, you know, they may be onto something. Uh, you know, like I've said this week, all is not lost, but let's not be naive here. You know, let's not uh, – uh, somebody on Twitter uh, tweeted and said it wouldn't be a Inside the Gamecocks podcast if it weren't for a Ghostbusters re- reference. Um, let's do a Top Gun reference. I'm not here to blow sunshine up your lieutenant. <laughs> so um, that's that's the deal. I'll give a Top Gun quote there for that. But uh, let's not let's not be – let's not kid ourselves and say everything's hunky dory and, and peachy and sunshine and rainbows. Cause it's obviously not, but you know, winning cures that winning gets things headed back in the right direction. Winning makes everybody feel better. Um, and you got a chance to win Saturday, go win. Um, and, and then try to go win another one and then try to go win another one, <laughs> you know, easier said than none, but you know, I, I don't think that all is lost. Uh, and, and again, I'll get back to the, the schedule. This is probably the last time I'm going to mention this. Maybe not, because I tend to bring things back up. But the 2020 schedule was supposed to be Coastal Carolina, East Carolina, Missouri at Kentucky. Um, and with the mistakes Carolina's made in the first two games, you know, that's why you like to play Coastal Carolina and East Carolina the first two games because you can afford to make mistakes and you're just better than the other team. And so then you go coach those and coach those mistakes up uh, when you review the film the next week. And by the time you get to Tennessee and Florida, you're not making them. But unfortunately they had to start with Tennessee and Florida. So, you know, such is life now, boo freaking who um, Carolina's opened with two sec games before, you know, and they opened uh with two power fives before I know, I know in 2016 they opened at Vanderbilt and then played at Mississippi state the next week week. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, uh, boo freaking who, you know, and that's just kind of how it happened, but you know, it is kind of a, a symbol of the greater luck of the Will Muschamp era that, that Carolina, you know, ended up, they ended up a global pandemic happened and Carolina ended up starting with those two teams, but that's okay. I mean, that, you know, you live and you learn. Uh, I think the worst part of that is, you know, let's say Carolina had gotten to play them later and they don't make those mistakes. I think Carolina could be right there with a chance to beat one of them. You know, now it just looks like you're falling behind in the division and everybody was right. Tennessee's on the rise, Florida's on the rise and Carolina's not. And you can't do anything to change that you know, except try to win down the stretch and, and get hot or whatever, and then take your shot at them next year. You know, you've lost a combined five in a row to what used to be two thirds of the orange crush. And, you know, Carolina people aren't used to that because the last decade, they're 500 against Florida, six and four against Tennessee. It should have been a lot better against Tennessee, to be honest. You know, Gamecock fans don't look at those games every year against the Vols and Gators and go, ah, probable loss. You know, and I remember a time when it was right on up through the Lou Holtz era. It was, I mean, because Lou could, Lou did not beat either one of those teams. So, you know, uh, that's the issue with losing to Tennessee and Florida, you know, is that, you know, in terms of the division, which I think is very important, you know, you, you look like you're falling behind a little bit. So that's that. Carolina gets a commitment today uh, from a receiver out of Alabama. He is unranked. So for those of you who, Love star ratings. You're probably not going to love this one. Rodarius Thomas uh, out of Eufaula, Alabama. I think that's how you say it. 6'1", 185, fast. Uh, talked to a contact over the weekend that was involved with his recruitment that said, you know, this kid's really good compared to what they've got or what they've been recruiting. Time will tell. He's sort of an unknown. Uh, but, you know, you kind of – you kind of look around and, and at receiver folks, you know, you can hit on an unknown because you've got, you know, a thousand of them out there that uh, are, 
you know, just kind of uh, lurking. And, and I think of those thousand seven hundred and fifty, even though they're ranked and have um, have uh, solid star ratings and all that, can't you know, end up not being able to play? <laughs> uh, you know, so and then you can go find. Uh, a guy like Rashad Bateman out of Georgia, who the Gamecocks actually were in on late and he stuck with Minnesota, um, you know, th- that's, you know, a late riser. Uh, Rondell Moore, who's from Louisville, Kentucky, who plays for Purdue. Both those guys opted out then opted back in. They'll be playing on a Big Ten screen uh, for you. They're both better than probably anybody Carolina's got. Um, you know, and so you go, you go get that guy. Uh, you know, or you go get Debo Samuel out of your own state late, uh, or you go get Hunter Renfro. You know, uh, you see where I'm getting at this. Sometimes at receiver, you could you could piece it together. You just got to you just got to hit on the right ones, and that's difficult. That's awfully difficult because there's just so many of them, and there are things to like about all of them. It, it, it's it's not. I don't think it's a tough position to evaluate if you know kind of okay. I need this type of guy, this type of guy, this type of guy. Um, especially in the Southeast, you know, if you know where to go and know what to do. But it's also a type of position that at times you can load up on guys that you think are what you want and need, and they end up not being. Um, and I'll tell you, the the trick I've learned with that is never go size over speed and explosiveness. In terms of – and I've seen it – I've kind of learned that from watching Carolina recruit that position. You know, you, you can't – you know, one thing Steve Spurrier Jr. did at times was he would fall – he fell – after after Sidney Rice, he fell in love with the 6'5 guys, 6'4", 6'5 guys. And that was not historically what made the fun and gun the fun and gun, i.e. Spurrier's offense. It was usually, you know, guys kind of like they had the year they had Bruce Ellington, A. Sanders, and Nick Jones, kind of the Smurfs kind of guys, you know, that could, you know, stack, stick their foot in the ground, plant, and turn – uh, and all that. And if you notice it, you know, if you notice Carolina's offense, you know, the, the when it really kind of looked like Spurrier's at times, you know, it was that those 2012, 2013, 2014 teams, you know, that had those guys. Uh, but Junior liked the bigger guys, and he ended up signing more bigger guys that weren't worth a darn than the Alshon Jeffries and Sidney Rice's of the world. Now, you know, fast forward to BMAC. And, and and I think that you know this is where you really can get in trouble because Debo Samuel coming out of high school was a six foot two hundred pound receiver that had not just good speed but elite speed, elite speed. And when he got there, you know I remember an assistant on the staff because remember Spurrier recruited him and Junior Junior went in on him late to his credit and was like, you know I, I remember kind of the word was you know Junior likes that kid from Chapman and we go to the we go to the Shrine Bowl and Shaq Davidson is the, you know, quote unquote, four star guy up there from Gaffney. And Debo is this kid from Chapman that has tree trunk legs that can fly. And everybody's like, holy crap. And then he just was never healthy, you know, when he was at South Carolina, you know, until later. And we now we see what he can do. Um, but those guys that are around 200 pounds, unless they can fly like Debo, Stay away because they're they're fast enough right now and big enough for high school ball, but they're not and maybe not too maybe if they're in the one nineties that's fine but you know the guys that are over two hundred already but they're going to put on fifteen of muscle and be two twenty when they get to college and so you, they better be able to run because then all of a sudden you lose a tick of your speed and then then how good are you you know how good are you I mean I, I remember. Kid that signed with Georgia named Israel Troop was like that. Uh, I think that Larry Freeman, who signed with the Gamecocks out of junior college, was like that. Kevion Mullins had to do that. He had to try and go, go to tight end because he was big. So, you know, I, I think that that's a lesson. You know, don't fall in love with one type of guy and never sacrifice, you know, size, either height or girth, over speed and ball skills because there are plenty of receivers – that are 5'10", that are in the NFL, that are really good. You know, I mean, you don't – it's great to have a – I mean, I love Jerkari Caldwell and think he's got a chance, um, you know, in time. But 
you know, I, I'm not taking Jakari Caldwell if he's just tall. You know, I'm taking him because I like the way he caught the ball and he, he's got some, you know, some ability uh, to cover some ground. So, so that, that that's kind of my thing there. And, you know, the Gamecocks did get a receiver, and then this is not a guy that's too big. He's about 6'1", probably about 180. Um, there's different 40 times of him out there. I, I know that they said, you know, he's well, – from what I've heard, he's a really good player, and they like him. Rodarius Thomas, uh, the second receiver out of the state of Alabama that they've taken, the other being Sam Reynolds from Thompson High School in Alabaster. And, and Sam Reynolds has had a really good senior year so far. You know, you also got Simeon Price and Omega Blake. Price could end up at safety, maybe, maybe not. Omega, um, look, you know, talking to some folks that recruit the state of South Carolina around the Power Five, not affiliated with the Gamecocks, you know, they felt like Blake was the top receiver on their board. They evaluated and, and they throw it around, you know, as much as anybody in the country. So, you know, there is hope out there, even if there's not – a parade of star rated guys uh, rocking and rolling. And, and, you know, honestly, you know, sometimes, like I said, at receiver, it's, I don't want to call it a crap shoot because there's certain things you have to look for. You can't just go take anybody, but I I do think that, you know, sometimes you can find guys at this position, which honest to God makes it inexcusable. The Carolina's in the position they're in at that position. (laughs) Just, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. (laughs) It's uh, in South Carolina's footprint with the receiver talent that the state puts out with the way the Gamecocks can recruit South Florida, you know, and the whole state of Florida and Georgia and everywhere else you can find wide receivers because other schools come to Carolina's footprint to get wide receivers. So, I mean, I just, you know, it's tough. Cast the blame on Brian McClendon, whoever you want, Will Muschamp, whatever, but, it's a tough situation right now at that spot. And, you know, with all the great ones that have come through this program and, uh, you know, Edwards and Debo Samuel are both guys that are in the NFL now. I mean, there's really no excuse. It's kind of like the 2014 defensive line where you had JT Surratt and that was it really. After you've had Clowney and Taylor and Ingram and all those guys, you know, that was a, that was a situation where sort of called up to you. But, you know, I I do think that, you know, if you really realistically think about it here, you can, you know, you, 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 if one guy, two guys steps up, it's going to completely change the dynamic as long as Shy Smith stays healthy, just like I said earlier. All right. I've said all that. I say all that to say this. All right, mailbag time. And, look, there's two ways you can get in on the mailbag. One is to tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, uh, and we have some of those, and it's awesome, and I appreciate all that, uh, you know. And Pretty Ricky's the one that said it's not a Big Spur Pod without a Ghostbusters shout out, so that's good. Um, all right, Quentin says at the Big Spur Pod, love the podcast, definitely the best Gamecock podcast out there. Thank you. By the way, I'll be a guest on another one of the best Gamecock podcasts out there, Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. If you're a patron of Keith's, I will be on tomorrow's episode. Would love to get your insight on this. In the first two games, I believe we've had 13 opportunities to return kicks, and I can't remember a single one we've attempted to. I know last Saturday there were some chances, but we just settled for a fair catch. Is it lack of ability? Are they afraid of making a mistake? You know, because you can fair catch it without being in the end zone now, inside the whatever, get it at the 25. Maybe that's strategic, and like unless you just feel great about it, Maybe that's the deal. So I don't know. I don't know what the strategy is. I know when you look at the return stats, they're ugly, but that's, you know, Tennessee didn't give them any chances to return. And then, you know, there were a lot of fair catches. Um, and then Shy made the mistake, you know, coming out uh, of the end zone late at Florida. Carolina had to start way back where. But uh, so I don't know. I, I would hope that the kickoff return game would be a little better. You know, I think Shy Smith certainly is capable of, of being really good in that department, just like he is in a lot of other areas. I, I think Joyner or whoever else they have back there could do it. Maybe Zaquandre White ends up doing it. Um, but there is some opportunity, uh, you know, but, I, you know, your guess is as good of my, as mine as far as why they're doing that. I also think as far as special teams goes, punting has to get better. 
the coverage, I think the coverage has been okay. You know, uh, it maybe needs to tighten up a little bit, but you know, there's special teams outside of Parker White has not been, you know, all that super duper. Um, so anyway, thank you for the question, and I will give you a retweet there, and we so you know it's coming. Um, and that's what I'm gonna start doing. I'm gonna start retweeting all the questions that are coming. And I appreciate that. So now we go to the inside the gamecocks at gmail.com inbox. If uh, you know, if I ever get a sponsor, somebody's gonna sponsor the the mailbox. Um, you know, and that'll be good. Uh all right. So the first one comes in from Justin. And he says, hey, JC, I love when you and Mike Morgan last season described the state of the programs using the DEFCON system. That's a pretty neat analogy. With that said, I struggle, still struggle, I struggle to try to understand this year's team and where it fits into Muschamp's tenure as a head coach. Do I evaluate him on this season alone? Do I evaluate the last two seasons or his entire tenure at Carolina? So my question, if you had to place Muschamp on the DEFCON chart, uh, where would you place the following and what do you believe is the most important in evaluating the state of the program and Muschamp's job security? Number one, this season. Number two, 2019 and 2020 seasons. And three, his tenure so far. Well, if I put a DEFCON on it, or I think the DEFCON two for one and two, you know, and, and three as well. Uh, and, and here's the reason, because, you know, I, I think there's a certain part of the fan base that, you know, we're just like when they when he went six and seven and got to a bowl and then he went nine and four and won the Outback Bowl. The people were just like, yeah, you know, blah blah blah, because they didn't like the hire and they're never going to be happy unless the guy beats Clemson or goes to the playoff or goes to the dome or to Atlanta. It's not the dome anymore; it's Mercedes Benz um, or whatever. You know, they're just not going to be happy unless something amazing that's you know not part of a building process happens. Okay. And, and I get that, but I do think that up until the Florida game in 2018, Will Muschamp by a lot of measured had overachieved at South Carolina. And, and yeah, in 2018, you can say, well, Kentucky, you know, that night Jake was off. They dropped all those passes. They lost to Kentucky again. Uh, the A&M game was a bad first half, and they came back and, and they couldn't – you know, can't beat Kentucky, can't beat A&M, um, beating everybody else. But I think right now everybody would love uh, to beat Tennessee and Florida again. I think everybody would love to have not lost to Missouri last year by 20 points. Um, and so when, when you start going backward in a way, you know, and I think everybody would have loved to have beaten North Carolina like they beat NC State in 2017. So you start going backward in a way that it's like, you know, okay, well, the streak against North Carolina teams is over. They've lost two out of the last three openers. You've now lost two straight with Tennessee, three straight with Florida. You know, you've lost five of six against Kentucky, even though you won last year. You haven't beat Clemson, and you won't this year because you're not playing. You know, did beat Georgia last year, but, you know, that was one win, and it, it took a lot of good fortune. One game you have good fortune. You know, every time it seems, and, and, and you know, you, every time it seems like, and this has been going on for a while, okay, you know, and I'm going to take you through this real quick. 2016, you know, Carolina comes out, they're struggling, they're not a good football team, especially on offense. Uh, Jake Bentley takes over, big upset against Tennessee, big win over Missouri. Uh, went beat, beat Western Carolina going to a bowl. You have an opportunity against Clemson, who you've played close. You know, the last year it was a five-point game, and you get just steamrolled. Look, I can forgive that. That's a tough loss, you know, 56-7. to seven, That's embarrassing. That should never happen. But you can forgive that, but still it's an opportunity. So 2017 happens. It's year two. You go up, you beat an NC State team you shouldn't beat. You go on the road, you beat Missouri by 18 points. It's a Missouri team that I think it scored 70 in the week before, although it was against a terrible team. Um, you come home, williams Bryce is packed. It looks like the old days. Towel's going. Carolina scores on the first play against Kentucky. Gets a pick on the, on the Wildcats' first offensive play. You don't do anything with it. Final score, Kentucky 23, Carolina 13. All right, so it takes the whole year. The whole year 
for anybody to get excited again. And Clemson comes to town. Okay, that that was a good Clemson team. That was not the best Clemson team. They were on the roll, Kelly Bryant and all those guys. But that was the Kelly Bryant team. That's not the Trevor Lawrence team. That's not the uh, Deshaun Watson team. It was the Kelly Bryant team. And they come to town and, you know, your offensive game plan is terrible. You know, Jake throws a pick six early and they just maul you to death. And your defense, who's been pretty doggone salty during the year, I mean, they act like they forgot how to play and get a bunch of penalties. And so so there's, you know, pull the rug out from you under you again. Okay, so, well, then you go and you get up off the mat and you win the Outback Bowl and people are optimistic and you come back out and, you know, you, you have a new offensive coordinator. You beat Coastal Carolina. Georgia comes into town. Um, and, you know, or Georgia early in the season uh, at Williams-Brice, you know, people, hey, there's been some mighty magical wins or at least down-to-the-wire ball games in the series when it's happened at that time. CBS is in town. And Georgia just beats the crud out of you 41-17. All right, so then it takes, you know, the 2018 year, it takes until you have two come-from-behind wins over Tennessee and Ole Miss, including a, uh, a big shootout win at Ole Miss uh, where there was a big crowd and everybody's like, okay, you know, ready to get back on the bandwagon. You go to the swamp, you're up 31-14, and then the bottom falls out. Even at that, after putting up 600 yards of total offense against Clemson, I think most people were still like, well, okay, you know, that was at least a competitive ball game. Could have been more competitive. Uh, let's buy tickets to the Belt Bowl when they're playing Virginia, and let's, let's win eight. You know, they won nine last year. Should have won, you know, if you can get to eight with all that's happened, that's fine. Okay. Disaster. 28 nothing. Bad taste in your mouth all summer. Even though bowl games fundamentally don't matter, that's another example of you guys having the rug pulled out from under you. Yet again, recruiting keeps going well. You get to the next year, North Carolina, okay? And this is when it starts to teeter on disaster because the Virginia game, like in the grand scheme of things, it didn't affect recruiting. Uh, It didn't affect the confidence of the team. It didn't affect hardly anything except the fans. But you look at that crowd for North Carolina the next year in Charlotte, they're just – you know, compared to the NC State game two years before that, it was nothing. Still, Gamecock fans show up. Feaster scores the touchdown long. It's 20 to 9. You're rolling right along, and then boom, you give up 200 yard drives and lose to the North Carolina Tar Heels, a team that you have not lost to since 1991. And it also happens to be Mac Brown's first game as head coach, and he's about to, you know, go head to head with a lot of players for you in his own state. And you you give them momentum. Jake Bentley gets hurt. You lose to Missouri, blah, blah, blah. There's even a sign of life, folks. There's even a sign of life after you snap the, snap the streak with, with Kentucky, beat Georgia. You're like, okay, things are turning around, all right? Uh, you know, Forget what happened earlier, that, that Missouri game, chalk it up to a freshman quarterback and an offensive coordinator that made a bad decision. You know, Florida's coming to town. And then they let a bad call and the game get away from them. Again, McClendon could not make any adjustments in the fourth quarter. And you lose to Florida. And then the Tennessee disaster happened. And since that point, nobody's been on board with anything. And so the Muschamp era has been about building hopes. And then when you finally get to the point where, hey, they can accomplish something, the rug gets pulled out from under you. You know, and I just don't know how many more times it can happen. I mean, you know, you think about Steve Spurrier, he went and got the big win at Tennessee, and you know, and then two weeks later he beat Florida. You know, went to went to Arkansas, which was a house of horrors, and beat them to get bowl eligible. Then the Gators come to town and they whip them. You know, that kind of forgave the loss to Clemson and the, you know, the 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 bowl game meltdown out in Shreveport. You know, the next year. You know, they, they didn't beat the teams they had beaten the previous year, but they go and, you know, they they beat Clemson on the road, came back and won, and then won the bowl. You know, so, so there's just – it's kind of the timing of the whole thing that every time there's an opportunity, a big one to, to where the fans are really, you know, ready to roll around, you know, to come around and, and get really behind the program, um, you know, just – 
doesn't happen. I mean, even this past offseason, you know, you go and you got a Jordan Birch, you got a Marshawn Lloyd coming in. I know he got hurt. Recruiting's going well. You know, then the pandemic hits, and you still have Tennessee. That's a team you should beat. Uh, Tennessee is not dramatically superior to South Carolina. Uh, and you lose in a mistake-filled ball game. And so that, that that's why it's at DEFCON 2 for the entire tenure, because there's just not been that sustained momentum once they get even to a place where they can have momentum. And it's been, you know, the, the 27, it may not have even been fair to mention 2016, but starting with that 2017 Kentucky game, it's been like that. Justin, I hope I answered your question. Thank you so much. Uh, Phil says, hey, JC, like your show. I listened to other Carolina podcasts, and this past week has been brutal. Hashtag fire must champ is all I seem to hear, but I appreciate your level-headed analysis of the situation, not just throwing in the towel. Well, you don't throw in the towel after two games. Um, I will say things will look a lot differently if Carolina loses this weekend. Uh, I look at the rest of the schedule, and I can see five or six wins. I seem to be in the minority when thinking this way. But you're absolutely correct in saying if we had the original schedule, we could be sitting at 4-0 to start the season. Yeah, with, with that four games, Kentucky's really the only one that I think would be a toss-up. But, you know, based on what I've seen out of their defense this year and kind of the way Carolina plays ball, you know, Carolina basically plays Kentucky's game now. And uh, I think Carolina, you know, with the way they've also played run defense, could have gone up there and won. Now, there are those that will say I'm wrong about that, but uh, I think they probably could have been. If this team just gains confidence and the addiction to win, I believe it could take off. Don't know if Muschamp gets in his own way or not, but it starts with him. Just got to keep on keeping on. Quoting Joe Dirt there, thanks again. Your thoughts. I agree. Uh, you know, look, I, I, again, I'm not being unrealistic here and saying there is not an issue. And the fire Muschamp crowd, I am not sitting there saying they don't have a point. Because I just documented like the time and time again, you get the rug pulled out from under you. Meanwhile, your rivals and the teams you used to enjoy beating are, are playing in the playoffs and competing for championships. Um, and that's not fun. That's not fun when you're a fan at all. Um, and nobody wants to go back to the 90s when they're hoping to play it close. So, you know, um, so there's the deal, you know. And it does start with Muschamp. But – uh, I, I do think that there, you know, when you look at the two games, it's not like Carolina got blown completely out of the water twice and, you know, there's just no hope in sight. Um, you know, I do think and, – and I've never been gigantically high on Florida for a while. I do think this is the best Florida team they've had in some time, uh, especially offensively. Um, and I do think Tennessee is playing with a lot of confidence. You know, we'll, we'll see how their confidence is after they play Georgia this weekend but I think they're playing with a lot of confidence and that mattered in that particular game, you know, cause there were mistakes. And then there were times where it looked like Tennessee, you know, was going to fold because of their mistakes and they stepped up and made a play. So I'm with you there. Definitely good point, Phil. Thanks for listening. Um, and, and, but I will say my tone will change with a loss to Vanderbilt in terms of that. Spencer, my man, my man that used to email the box. JC, hope you're good, brother. Two questions to this staff. Have some that are into advanced analytics. I love the PFF grades, and many of the players grade out well while others do not. My point is that the staff really struggles with doing things a bit smarter. I don't know that they they chart things uh, internally. I, I'm not a PFF guy. I'm probably the wrong person to ask about that because sometimes I don't know what the hell they're looking at because uh, I'll go back and watch the film. I'll have coaching friends watch the film. And, and it's just like, well, what are you seeing here to where you're grading them that way? I will say it's very difficult to grade all of the college football players. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I respect the job they do. Um, but the advanced analytics, you know, that they chart things like explosives. And, I mean, they, you hear Muschamp talking about it. These guys are more into advanced analytics than the previous two staffs. I can tell you that right now. Spurrier just been like, well, let's just score a bunch of touchdowns and we'll be fine. <laughs> You know, uh, and I don't always know that that's the best way to do it. You know, I, I could really kind of go either way. Number two, if you notice a drop off on special teams and who's coaching that group, I've heard zero people talk about this, but it looks poorly coached. 
In the Florida game, the returner called fair catch drops. It takes a knee to be marked the three. Yeah, that's that Shai Smith play I was talking about. There are more, but again, just very poorly coached. And I get that, you know, with the Kyle Krantz and Rod Wilson are running the special teams. Uh, Again, you know, you talk about coaching. Coaching is making sure your guys don't make mistakes. But I think those are mistakes. I don't think they intentionally go, hey, Shai, catch it and, you know, drop to a knee and then, you know, <laughs> they don't tell them to do that. But, yeah, they they need to get better and maybe have some returns or something. I get the frustration there, and I do agree. They're not as good as they have been, uh, except, um, you know, Parker White, I think, is going to have a, a really good year. Number three, is Muschamp changed, or does he not care because he knows he's getting paid? Now, th- this is one thing about Will Muschamp people have to realize, and you got to separate the frustration of being a fan and the results with who he is as a guy. Um, he cares deeply and he gets paid and, but he was getting paid before he came to Carolina. I mean, th- this job is not one he took because of the money, because he made plenty of money at Florida and was making plenty of money at Auburn. Um, has he changed? I-, I think he has changed in terms of, you know, trying, you know, throwing anything he can against the wall on offense um, and seeing if it works. And I think what Bobo's doing works now, it doesn't help that narrative uh, when they ran seven minutes off the clock, but you know, it also uh, is a situation. I don't know what the hell that was. Something fell down. Um, it also is a situation where uh, that's going to be questioned, you know, no matter what. And I think by and large, the strategy this year on offense is, is one that can allow them to win games and, you know, do all that. Um so has he changed? Yeah. I mean, he, he's tried to mix it up. Uh, you know, I don't think he's changed defensively. I don't think if you're Will Mines, like, that's like asking Steve Spurrier to change. But, you know, Steve Spurrier did evolve, and most good coaches do. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know either. I'm not smart enough, and I'm a smart guy, you know, and I'm insightful, and, you know, I, I've got contacts. But – there, there is nothing that I can put my finger on. And I've talked to coaches that have been with Muschamp at Florida and at South Carolina and at Auburn and in Texas and everywhere else he's been, LSU. There is nothing anyone and people that have forgotten more about football than I'll ever know can put their finger on as to why the things happen to his teams that do happen. Nothing. I mean, you think somebody would have an answer out there. I mean, you'd think somebody would be like, well, you know, here's, you know, he gets his team too fired up maybe and his guys make mistakes or practices too hard so his guys get hurt. It, it, you know, you'd think there'd be something out there like that. And, and, and I would have heard about it. You know, I've talked to enough people to know. And I don't think, you know, people think he's like this guy that intimidates everybody. And, you know, I can see sometimes some of the stares of the media, but, but he's a really nice guy. I mean, ask anybody that knows him. He's a great guy, you know. Um, you know, I, he, he's not a Nick Saban type at all, you know, as far as the humanity of Will Muschamp. So, uh, you know, there's no way that he just doesn't care and he's collected a paycheck. You know, and, and he's as frustrated as anybody else. And so as mad as people get, you know, they call him a loser, they make little names about him or whatever, I get it. That's part of being a fan. But don't think for a minute that Muschamp's just kicking his feet back and collecting a paycheck. I don't even know, you know, uh, maybe Lou Holtz late in his tenure, you know, and then he got beat 63-17 and came back and actually tried that last year, you know, was a guy that was just kind of maybe he checked out. I know Spurrier sort of checked out with some of the stuff that you have to do besides calling plays and and all that. But, But Spurrier still cared enough about the winning and losing. Um, you know, I, I don't know that Carolina's ever had a coach that just did that. They've had some coaches that have made some stupid decision, you know, don't get me wrong with personnel and staff and, and sort of direction. But, you know, I, I don't know of anybody that's just checked out on the program and, you know, because of money. And, and I don't think Will Muschamp's that way either. I, I just, I'd be, so you know, if that was the case, then he's got a lot of people fooled. But Spence, thanks for the question. And we'll get to the next one. All right. Noah says, JC, 
Um, enjoying the podcast. To preface this, I do want to say I'm absolutely not advocating for Muschamp to be fired. Just fascinated by the coaching carousel. Back a few months ago, I heard from someone that if teams are hesitant to make a coaching change this year because of finances, if a team does make a change this offseason, they could have the opportunity to hire a top-tier coaching candidate as there will be less available jobs. Could the Gamecocks realistically do this? And who, if so, who would you be interested in hiring? Um, you know, when you look at kind of the names that are out there now, it, it's, it's way different than it was in 2015. Um, if you look at the names that are out there now, you know, obviously if you, if, you know, a lot of schools are making changes or whatever, let's say Southern Cal opens or something like that, that's going to impact you with a certain level of guy. I, I don't know that like, you know, for example, PJ Fleck from Minnesota would be a guy that, you know, South Carolina would probably love to have, you know, he's a, he's a guy with a lot of, you know, pizzazz and, and enthusiasm. He's won at places that are hard to win, you know, that checks and boxes. Um, and I don't know that you can afford him regardless because Minnesota's got him on a good, good, good contract. And I don't know that he want to leave Minnesota for South Carolina, but th- this is hypothetical. And I'm not advocating for PJ Fleck because I have some friends that would be mad at me for doing that. Um, and not on the coaching, not on the current coaching staff. <laughs> Let's say Fleck is a polarizing candidate. But um, just for example, you want to do that. Well, if, if Southern Cal opens and it's Southern Cal or South Carolina, he's going to Southern Cal. Um, and it's kind of like 2015. You know, Tom Herman knew te- – you could smell that Texas was going to open. Um, and then, you know, Kirby Smart's next in line, and then he goes to Georgia. You know, Lincoln Riley was a guy they talked to, but wink, wink, nod, nod. Stoops may not be here, but for one more year, you could have this job. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that's definitely what happened with Lincoln Riley, but, you know, I've heard through the grapevine that Oklahoma was going to hire him. And so, you know, now you have Billy Napier sitting out there, ties to the state, you know, at Louisiana, good coach, good young coach. You have Scott Satterfield sitting at Louisville. That's going to be more difficult because it's a power five, sitting power five job, and you don't normally get, sitting power five coaches, but he's got ties to the area. Um, you know, at South Carolina's probably a, in the SEC, a tremendous challenge. You got guys like Shane Beamer and Sean Elliott. You know, Shane Beamer has been at two championship-level programs. Uh, he's learned a lot about offense in one spot and defense at the other. He'd hire really good coordinators, probably ready to be a head coach. For those that say you need a guy with head coaching experience, I'll just point to the Final Four last year. Um, the only guy that had head coaching experience that was in the playoff last year that was a coach anywhere else was Ed Orgeron, and he was a miserable failure at Ole Miss before he got the LSU job. So Ryan Day, Dabo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley, all those guys had never been co- head coaches before before they got their current job. It, that just head coaching experience literally at times does not matter as much as it did once upon a time. You know, and there's no Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier out there, you know, unless you convince Bob Stoops to come out of retirement, which I don't know that you would, you know. I mean, I I think that, you know, there's not that guy that, you know, is is sitting there. South Carolina can go higher. Um, You know, Shane Beamer, Sean Elliott's winning at Georgia State. If people will forgive him about the loss to the Citadel, uh, I'm sure he'd be a guy. Will Healy at Charlotte would be a young, out-of-the-box type of hire that would be good. I mean, you've got a lot of guys uh, at that level. I mean, and think about this too. I mean, th- there were just kind of a, there was just kind of a, a weird time with coaches when Muschamp was hired. You know, you're talking about uh, a situation where Matt Campbell took Iowa state and PJ Fleck took Minnesota. Both those guys probably could have gone directly from the Mac to a bigger job but there were just some different kind of things that happened. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, that if South Carolina does make a change, obviously if, if other schools are not, that would help. Now, if South Carolina, if other schools are not, and it's like universal, everybody's getting another year. I don't expect Carolina to be the outlier on that, but, you know, I mean, there's a chance things turn around and then there's a chance things unravel. And if things unravel, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what you do because at that point, 
you kind of look back on last year and last offseason and say, eh, you know, because the same pool of guys would have been available last year. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I think I think Carolina this time around, there's no guarantee any coach will work out. I mean, and you think back through to a few years ago, Florida's top two choices for the job were Chip Kelly and Scott Frost, okay? Chip Kelly goes to UCLA, spurns them. Scott Frost goes home to the University of Nebraska, spurns the Gators, turns it down. So they go and, you know, hire their old offensive coordinator, Dan Mullen. Well, of those three guys, who's doing the best job right now? Would you have thought it? I wouldn't have. I'd have thought Scott Frost would have had an explosive, great offense in, in a division that's kind of weak, that doesn't have that much, you know, that many dynamic offenses. And they would come back, maybe not like – they wouldn't look like the 95 Huskers, but they would – in the Big Ten West would have done well. And I would have thought for sure Chip Kelly's offense wouldn't be a dumpster fire a lot of the time out at UCLA. Who would have thought that Sam Pittman would have snapped the streak at Arkansas that, that Brett Bielema and Chad Morris both uh, started, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's, you just never know. You, you try to get the best fit you can. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, there, there's some lessons to be learned, you know, if Muschamp doesn't work out, i.e. don't hire somebody that's been fired from another job, you know, uh, I, I think that's, just, you know, unless it's a situation where there was like off the field stuff and the guys, you know, cleaned up his act or whatever, you know, like a Hugh Freeze kind of situation. But, um, you know, maybe that's – maybe you learn from that. I mean, I, I, I'll i tell you this. I, I thought, you know, Will Muschamp had s- some things happen at Florida uh, that obviously a lot were his own doing, like offense and coordinator hires and things like that. Um, and I thought, you know, the, the, the pitch when, when you're thinking about hiring Muschamp is, well, this guy's got everything. He's got to fix the offense. And, you know, I wrote an article saying, here's the case for him. He can recruit, you know, and he can, he can coach defense and he can, uh, Gamecocks need roster help. He can, he can put together a great staff and he did. Uh, I was not under the impression he was going to hire Kurt Roper. But when they hired Kurt Roper and they were talking about, well, here's what he's going to do on the, on the chalkboard, looks great. So, yeah, and I, I stand by that. You know, I think at the time that was a, the choice to be made, you know. Um, you could have ended up with Willie Taggart or Greg Schiano. I, I don't know that Schiano would have been terrible. Troy Calhoun. So, you know, you just never know. So there's no – there's no surefire thing. You just match it up as best you can. And there are more options out there that make sense that, that I think could rejuvenate the fan base. You know, guys that don't have losing track records, you know, guys that have won um, or that, that, that are assistants at winning programs. And then, you know, you, you don't have that albatross, you know, and I'm just, ta- I'm not talking about results necessarily. Uh, I'm talking about how the fans would, you know, cause I, I think at some point, if this season goes way South, You've got an issue where apathy and anger sets in, and there, and, and you, at some point you're past the point of no return. You know, so we'll see what happens there. Thanks, Noah, for yet another great email. Mark says, "I feel like the missing pieces on offense are Brooks and Lloyd. Obviously, can't do anything about Lloyd, but getting Brooks eligible could be a big boost to the offense." Agreed. I'm not saying he'd be All American or All SEC, but a solid number two could give the Gamecocks five or seven catches per game. Yeah, I talked about that. Um, Nick Muse also needs to step up his game. I, I agree about that too. Um, same with the defense. We need to get Jamar Brown healthy. He could be Robin to the Batman. Ernest Jones, he said number 30, Damani Staley's the penguin. <laughs> he says he's joking. And yeah, Damani plays hard, man. But Jamar Brown, different level athlete, more better ball skills. And 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 I'm thinking about that. And I know I said that in terms of the Florida game. You know, playing that type of offense, I think Jamar could have been a big help. Now, you know, they play somebody else. I don't know. You know, some other style of team. Who knows? You know, maybe it's maybe it's Staley, but uh, there's that. So, Mark, thanks for the email again. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod if you want to get in on the mailbag. I'll have the final word 
uh, coming up tomorrow uh, where I give my prediction on the game, answer more mailbag questions, all that. I will also be on Locked on the Gamecocks podcast with Keith Alsup. Uh, tomorrow, for those of you that are his patrons, you get to hear my voice. Be sure to also check out JB and Goldwater, their podcast. They podcast every show. I do an hour with them every Wednesday. Uh, also, the JC and Morgan College Football Podcast. We just just put that up earlier, and um, me and Mike Morgan roll through, you know, what should be you know a showdown Saturday uh, in the ACC. And the SEC to a lesser extent. But you look at the ACC, Miami, Clemson, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, those are kind of elimination type. I don't want to say elimination type games, but they're, you know, they're important games right now when you look at the standings. So check all that out. Keep those five-star reviews rolling. We're getting to 1,000 by the time the season's over, people. And thanks to you, and I appreciate all of you that have done that. This is J.C. Sherbert saying so long for now. This is the Inside the Gamecocks podcast.